0: Baby, baby, I love you so And I don't want to let you Radcat are one of the most important bands in Australian music, knocking down an important barrier between the independent music scene and the mainstream establishment. But important important because they also made some killer pop music. They had one great album and an irresistible sound. They mixed it with floppy hair and a shrugged-off attitude. And they did it before Nirvana made alternative famous around the world. But Ratcat got swept up in the machine, and they just weren't the band to take Australian music to the next level. This is Just Ace, a podcast about the 90s Australian alternative music scene, whatever the hell that means. This episode, we look at the band Ratcat. For a three-piece band, a lot of people have been in Ratcat. The one person who never left is singer, guitarist and songwriter Simon Day and Ratcat is his band. Simon Day was born in 1966 in Sydney. He grew up in Mossman and was attending Mossman High when he formed Ratcat in 1985 with Victor Levy and Trevor White on bass and drums. He still lived in Mossman with his parents when Ratcat made it big and they often played at the Mossman Hotel. Day was a massive fan of pop culture before that term got co-opted in this internet era. For Day, schlocky horror films and newsstand comics were as important as other so-called finer arts. In music, he was drawn to the fuzzier, cartoony side of punk, represented by the Ramones, but also loved bubblegum pop and hopelessly romantic chart hits. Day was so enamoured by pop culture, he named his first band Danger Mouse after the kids cartoon. His talent was to synthesise all those elements into Ratcat. Ratcat's ambitions were to play their part in the Sydney pop-punk scene alongside Mass Appeal or the Happy Hate Me Nots. They were signed with the acclaimed Sydney indie label Waterfront, partly because Day did artwork for other bands and would do artwork for his own for no cost. He also made a great band logo for Ratcat. Compared to other bands on Waterfront like, say, the Hard-Ons, Ratcat weren't the best musicians, nor did they have the most to say. They were the baby band, but at least they wouldn't be a lot of work for the label. The first Ratcat EP was self-titled and released in 1987. They followed it with some early singles, including a split single with The Hummingbirds. But unlike The Hummingbirds, these early recordings are not so revered. They are fun, and there's a lot of what made Ratcat good, but they are recorded cheaply and pretty throwaway. That disposable tendency would come to derail them later. Still, it had the buzzy guitars and the pop hooks. And being a Sydney band on Waterfront meant that it got some play on Triple J. One of the things on that first EP was their cover of I Think We're Alone Now, originally by Tommy James and the Shondells. It was a massive worldwide hit for Tiffany in August 1987. Ratcat's version came out in November 1987. All three versions plus the Ruben News version are all great. There is no bad versions of this song. Here's I Think We're Alone Now by Ratcat. Radcat kept at it, playing with other local bands, and they got better. Their first album came in 1989, released on Waterfront called This Nightmare. It was only two years later, but there had been a lot of gigs and a lot of recordings since that debut EP. The album won over new fans of the band and was enough to attract the attention of bigger labels. Here's one of the singles from This Nightmare, Baby's Got a Gun. So far, so good. An EP and album on Waterfront, getting good supports, playing the right venues. They were making Simon Day's dream of being the next Happy Hate Me Nots come true. And then everything changed. When the new label Ruart started looking around for bands in the indie scene that could be big time, Ratcat stood out. Ratcat would deride it for being a bit soft compared to other indie bands at the time. But when it came to bigger label interest, it worked in their favour. Without the harder edge of, say, the hard-ons, they could be moved and marketed into the pop world. It helped that Simon Day was tall and neat-looking. Perhaps in the same way that Day saw little difference between the value of Danger Mouse cartoons and The Godfather films, Day jumped at being on a bigger label, despite his love for Waterfront, their bands and that indie scene. For Waterfront, losing Ratcat was a big deal and a sign that they needed to start offering their bands more. Because Ruart were more than just another label. They were connected to a major label and funded. That meant proper recording studios, with producers and time to record. It meant making music videos, proper people to design the album covers, and a line into some big support slots. That industry machine was ready for Ratcat on Ruart, and Waterfront could not compete. And Ratcat was ready for the machine. Ruart put them on the first track of their latest Youngblood compilation. Then they recorded an EP called Tingles and it was released on the 1st of October 1990. It had a killer lead single, the song that would truly change the band's fortunes. Here's That Ain't Bad by Ratcat, first released on the Tingles EP in 1990. A That Ain't Bad's origins were apparently as simple as Day wanting to repeat the phrase I love you over heavily distorted guitars. And perhaps that was a simple enough hook to win over a mass audience in Australia. It wasn't a million kilometres away from their This Nightmare stuff, but that simple romantic directness connected. It's a great pop song, but other factors helped to make it a hit. The film clip was great, and it showed off Simon Day's good looks. The film clip also features a young Naomi Watts, hot off a famous Australian TV commercial where she turns down a date with Tom Cruise for a roast lamb dinner. Simon Day went to school with her brother. OK, folks, here we go. We're going to dial the winner of our Dinner with Tom Cruise competition. Hello. Hello, Julie Rankin. Yeah. Nice work, Julie. You've scored a Dinner with Tom Cruise. Yes, a stretch limousine will take you to a Top City restaurant, then a romantic dinner, just you Fantastic. and Tom. When? Tonight. Tonight. I'm sorry, I can't. What? What? Mum's doing a lamb roast. Oh, great, yeah. The Tingle's EP was also as cheap to buy as they could make it, $5. It was also a clever way for Ruart to get the record to a lot of people. Making a bit of a loss on the EP to get the band out there was something that indie labels just couldn't afford to do. Triple J, nearly national, added it to high rotation, bringing it to a huge new audience. And ultimately... So did commercial radio. It was a friggin' catchy song. In May 1991, the song and the Tingles EP finally hit number one in the Australian charts some seven months after it was released. It was the first Australian indie label single to reach number one. That Ain't Bad was the second highest selling single of 1991 in Australia. It only trailed Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Bryan Adams, which spent 400 weeks at number one in that calendar year. It also outsold Nirvana, whose groundbreaking Smells Like Teen Spirit was released four months later in 1991. And that album, Nevermind That, followed in November. Ratcat took alternative music to the top of the Australian charts several months before Nirvana became a household name. In Australian music history, one of the most tired stories that gets bandied about by critics is how The Saints, the phenomenal punk band from Brisbane, actually released their classic I'm Stranded in September 1976 before the punk explosion of 1977, beating the Sex Pistols and the Clash to punk. Then, in that same way, Ratcat deserves the credit for pioneering alternative rock before Nirvana. Ratcat was the first alternative band I heard and the first alternative band a whole generation heard. That Ain't Bad shot the band to fame. A massive tour supporting In Excess followed. It wasn't that long ago that Ratcat were a 2nd build indie band and now they were playing entertainment centres with a big hit on the radio. Two years earlier, they were happy to headline the Harold Park Hotel for their album launch but there was still the music. Their second album, the first for RuHart, was called Blind Love and was released in May of 1991, still three months before Smells Like Teen Spirit. The first single was Don't Go Now and it was another number one hit. If anything, this song was even better than That Ain't Bad. It had a killer film clip as well, showing off the band's youthful energy. From 1991's Blind Love, He's Rat Cat with Don't Go Now. Well, I've been That's the Hummingbirds, Robin St Clair and New Zealand singer Margaret Ehrlich on backing vocals. Don't Go Now doesn't have the place in history that makes That Ain't Bad important, but I think it might be a better song. The song is a rewrite of a Love Positions song, a band formed by Robin St Clair and Half A Cow's Nick Dalton in the 80s. Originally called Don't Slow Down, the pair rewrote it for Ratcat. If you've never heard it, here's Don't Slow Down by Love Positions. Blind Love was full of incredible pop songs. It mixed bubblegum and punk and put it in a comic book cartoon feel mixed with a lot of teenage romance. In the 80s, major label albums sometimes had like five singles. If this album came out five years earlier, Blind Love would have delivered. Baby Baby became their third and last single from the album charting at 21, but tracks like Yes I Wanna Go and Strange could have easily been follow-up hits. Here's Strange by Ratcat. Love hit number one in the Australian chart, the first Australian independent album to ever do so. The album went gold which is 35,000 sales in Australia, huge at the time. And even with all that, acclaim, popularity, guitar solos, floppy hair and Naomi Watts, they were only nominated for one ARIA Award for breakthrough artist and they lost. It would take some time before the old school establishment cared for this stuff. I remember this time fondly. Ratcat was all over magazines and their wonderful film clips were on TV. Their music was fun and they seemed fun in interviews and their clips, as seen on Saturday morning music chart shows like Video Hits and Video Smash Hits. It felt like that film, A Hard Day's Night with the Beatles, but for the Australian indie generation. As a 10 year old at the time, all music was the same to me. I didn't realise that Ratcat came from a completely different system than, say, New Kids on the Block. And I'm not sure their label did either. Simon Day became an actual teen idol. He was on the cover of magazines and the pull-out, fold-out posters inside. They mined their hit single on primetime TV shows like Hey Hey It's Saturday. They did interviews where he was asked about how he kept his hair so floppy. He even appeared in Australian soap opera A Country Practice playing a young punk rock star. I, of course, watched and bought everything and learnt all the words. But already, the band who had been born and raised in Sydney's indie circuit were facing the realities of being actual pop stars. Fans would park themselves outside the flats of the band members. Someone stole Simon Day's hat right off his head. Old friends started to turn on them. It is one of those unfortunate truths of the indie scene that whenever anyone gets successful, all the indie kids turn on you. Lazy accusations of selling out would follow. Throughout all this, Simon Day wore a stripy shirt. White with thick black stripes. I wanted to say very stripy, but I guess a shirt is either stripy or it isn't. But still, the main thing that anyone would say if they saw the shirt I was talking about was that it was stripy. I point this out because Ratcat, to some degree, became cartoon characters themselves. They played up to their teen image and were happy to have an all-age fan base. On the other hand, what else was there? They were too pop to go into the pub rock world or the indie world, neither of which they ever really felt comfortable with. The alternative scene didn't quite exist yet. But even today, if you wear a black and white stripy shirt around inner Sydney, someone is bound to yell out Ratcat at you, and that person would probably be me. Following the big year of 1991, a hit album and three hit singles, in a country practice, Ratcat headed for America. Deals were in place for them to play Lollapalooza, the big new touring alternative festival in the US. And for many people, that was the last they ever heard of Ratcat. Anna. Anna. Um, that's Ratcat, and look what I'm holding. This is a uh, presentation because the Tingle's EP, which has been in the charts for seven months, it's still number one. It's now sold in excess of 80,000, which wow. is a platinum. Uh, there you go, there's a big cheer for you from our audience. She's over tight. <laughs> uh, and uh, we want to present you with that and say congratulations. And also, well, the one you did go now is, is in fact uh, number six, six the at suite. the moment. So yeah. uh, things are really happening for you. Sure and are. we just want to say congratulations. Thank you very much. From all that Hey Hey! It's Saturday. Yeah! We'll be back with Where it all went wrong for Ratcat is the subject of much debate between music historians and the people that I still see in pubs. Here's the facts of the case, Your Honour. Ratcat went overseas for a European and US tour and to make international connections. No one around them was thinking this band would just stay in Australia, but it was a huge sudden burst of pressure. Did Ratcat achieve too much too quickly? In interviews with Day shortly after, he talked about the pressure and all the people who wanted something from him and the sudden fame. Just a couple of years earlier, he was designing his own album sleeves and playing local bands. It's a huge strange thing to go through and not everyone survives it. Also, Nirvana burst through at the end of 1991, bringing an army of flannel and angst. Did this make Ratcat's simple punk pop seem somewhat light? That the most successful music in Australia's alternative scene in the years to follow did not sound like Ratcat suggests that genre is to blame. Their cute little film clips just couldn't cut it against, you know, slickly produced Pearl Jam film clips. So maybe the world just changed on Ratcat. And maybe the follow-up music wasn't good enough. 1992's Inside Out album just didn't match the energy or the freshness of Blind Love. The two singles Holiday and Candyman were fun, and I liked them, but the album was not Blind Love 2, Love Blinder. The biggest change was the lack of love songs. Just about every song on Blind Love was a love song or a crush song of some sort, Inside Out, whose album cover featured a leopard about to bite, was full of bitterness about fame. Some of it was catchy and fun, but not exactly what the younger teenage kids were looking for. The first single from Inside Out was Candyman, released in May 1992, just eight months after the final single from Blind Love, Baby Baby. The song was, I guess, about drugs and self-medication. Not exactly what Video Hits was looking for, but here's Candyman by Ratcap. the wonderful sick of being down i love the song but it's just not a teenage anthem what teenage kid wants to hear about this anyway here's sick of being down by ratcat Well, maybe a huge part of Ratcat's Cat's audience was fickle preteens who were never going to give them another album anyway Day had appeared on the cover of magazines like hit song words with New Kids on the Block being in the same issue. Before Blind Love they built a music savvy inner city fan base through gigging but getting to number one needs the unwashed masses and the unwashed masses moved on they moved on from New Kids on the Block as well it also seems that Ruart stopped, to some degree, giving a shit. There was no big In Excess tour the second time around, and there was no promo campaign for the second album after the first two singles failed to be massive hits. The label had other bands to develop. Ratcat was the band that, for whatever reason, didn't quite make it overseas the first time, and they didn't get a second chance. The final single from Inside Out was called The World in a Rapper and featured a rap solo from Romano Martinez of the Australian hip-hop pioneers, Sound Unlimited. It shows Day and the band just dying to bust out from their constraints, but also alienating all the fans they made so far. It sounds fun today, but it became their first single not to chart since they signed to Ruart. Here's The World in a Rapper by Ratcat. Black cat returned to Sydney and went back to playing local pubs and other venues, but as Spinal Tap's manager might say, their audience got more selective. More EPs and one final album called Easy Rider was released in 1997. Six years after they burst into the mainstream with a number one album, Easy Rider didn't even chart. Worse still, even the positive reviews seemed to say that it was a return to form or a throwback to their early days. And once critics start saying something is a return to form, it's over. They now lived in the shadow of their own success forevermore. In 1998, a curious single was released featuring Ratcat and John Paul Young, singer of Love is in the Air, most famous for his 70s work. The single was released by the label Murmur, who we will get to, but suffice to say they were one of the coolest Australian labels at the time. Jebediah, a Murmur band, had mentioned Ratcat a few times in interviews around the late 90s. It coincided with a big comeback at the Homebake festival. We have a while until we talk about Homebake, but Homebake was the idea of Joe Segreto, who was Ratcat's manager. The Ratcat set at Homebake was supposed to be the return of legends. It was just seven years after they broke through and they were already seen as a band from the last generation. The band broke up shortly after that. Here's the final single by Ratcat featuring John Paul Young, I Hate The Music. I really, really loved that golden period of Rat I was right there at the right age at the right time. I would watch video hits every Saturday morning and be excited for them when they climbed the charts. I would memorise lyrics printed in Smash Hits magazine. Later they would be some of the first songs I ever learnt on guitar. But if I'm honest, for me, they just didn't cut it to be counted amongst the truly, truly greats. They weren't Australia's answer to Nirvana. They were barely a band in that sense, with so many members coming and going. They just didn't really add that much to the language of Australian music. I don't ever hear a band and think they are ripping off Ratcat because Ratcat themselves were a mix of other genres and punky bubblegum, and Dave, for all his strengths, didn't have much to say about the human experience. But hey 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 hey, he loves you. If you wanted big, fun, rocking, silly love songs, well, step right up and bring a bag. Timeless, danceable, romantic pop with big, big choruses. Their singles were as good as anything by, say, The Buzzcocks or Supergrass or The Kinks or any band where the upper limits of tempo were just a serving suggestion. In a lot of ways, the Irish band Ash took the same elements and made themselves worldwide stars. Radcat also paved the way. They showed the industry that this indie stuff could work. It wasn't that it was simply good enough or catchy enough. But it's also that a band like this could print up and distribute enough albums, appear on enough TV shows and magazines that they could get to number one. It is important to know that Ratcat broke through the mainstream barrier before Nirvana. They were ahead of the whole scene until the whole scene turned into flannel and being sad and made Ratcat look a bit slight. They were the first and for that alone Ratcat deserves its place in music history. The singles EP should stand alongside I'm Stranded by the Saints but with floppier hair. Ratcat were the gateway drug for me into something beyond the mainstream. And I believe that they were that for a whole generation. It was the first so-called alternative music I ever heard. And that is such an important thing. Learning to be a music fan takes gateway drug bands, and the bigger the better. You have to hear Blind Love, that wonderful second album by Ratcat, first released in 1991 which also includes that ain't bad from tingles it is one of the great guitar pop punky pop power pop whatever pop albums ever made and released anywhere in the world i have met many non-australians who were the few to see them in the day in the us or the uk and they treasure blind love some people got it and remain believers in fact the only ones who didn't get it were the generation just before them the generation who thought it was too simplistic for their serious tastes You know, like the people who didn't understand Can't Buy Me Love the first time around. Most versions of Blind Love these days includes all the Tingle's tracks. If you like that, there's a best of called Twisted Tales, which you should also hear. But all their stuff, including the live album Alive and a Rarities compilation and the early Waterfront stuff, is available digitally. Ratcat, of course, reunited in the last decade or so to play to their crowd, doing classic album shows and 90s rock packages, as bands tend to do. But there has been no new music since 1997, and Day has actually cut his floppy hair, but there's still an occasional stripy shirt. As usual, Craig Matheson's book The Sell-In looks at Ratcat and talks about them from a really great industry point of view, and the story of Ratcat has been covered quite publicly. There's lots of blog posts online, and for me, these were really exciting times. I recently watched the documentary, When the Shouting Stops, about the band Bross. They were another teen pop band, and it was a great doco because it covers the highest of highs, then the crash back to earth. Done properly, the Ratcat story would be a great documentary. There's plenty of footage. You can see the montage of magazine covers in the height of their fame, and the big home comeback. Interviews with Naomi Watts. There's plenty of stories. It's probably the best story about sudden fame in Australia in the 90s. Yes, a book would be nice, but a documentary, seeing the screaming crowds, the TV cameos, the squirmy Saturday morning teen shows, it's all there. And the music was pretty good as well. So producers, give me a call. To end, here's Yes I Wanna Go, the super fun opening track to Blind Love. The Chart Topic's second album by Ratcat. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Just Ace podcast. Not much to say this week in the outro, just my usual talk of support. There's a Patreon, of course. It's an affordable Patreon at $3 a month, and that adds up to just a little bit more than an album cost in the 90s every year. You'll also get an ebook of all the episode scripts when the season is over, and a thank you in that book as well. And for patrons, I'm happy to share with them what I'm working on for the rest of season one and season two and the other couple of seasons after that. You can buy me a coffee. I'm getting lots of coffees from people. It's a tipping service and the link is in the description. And there's a poster. I drew it myself and you can check it out in the description. The underground lovers have used it as their Facebook profile picture, which is great. There's no cost ways to support the podcast as well. The best is still leaving the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars will do. It's really great for discovery. And you can leave me a review there if you like. But the important thing is the five stars. The other no-cost way is to tell a friend. I'm still ticking over with new followers and people emailing me telling me they have discovered the podcast, which is great. Follow Just Ace on social media. I'm posting photos and actually bits of news here and there including some photos from a Big Day Out photo exhibition, which you can check out. And remember, the website for playlists, show notes, and much more. In fact, I've also posted a YouTube playlist of over 300 music videos from Australian music in the 90s. It's just ace 90s on social media and JustAce90S.com for the website. That's it. Next week, more music, and we look at a bunch of bands from 1991. Start again.